0: Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to episode 35, recorded on March 8th, 2022 something different this time around. It's a roundtable discussion featuring some heavy hitters from the smart city world, talking about where we are and where things are going. I think you'll find this very illuminating. Locomobi World CEO, Grant Furlane, leads us through the discussion.
1: So we have, um, we have kind of our smart group, and, and, and I think the, the, um, the, what you'll find the common, common ground in all these people is they've all been on a podcast. Um, and so, um, we have, uh, a whole mix of people, but in the end, uh, when you bring this group together and I think it's time and let me tell you why, Alan, we've, um, we've been through COVID. So some of these people were on the show before COVID. Some came on during COVID. Same came, uh, now we're on here now. And, and, and my point being is it's not about COVID, but it's about, we talked about all the smart features and then we had to go through a, heck of a challenging time. And it's time to talk about how do we mesh together? And I do have an order of how I want to talk to people. How do we mesh together? What have we seen change that's made our uh, outlook on the future of the smart city? And what are we going to do in the future? And I think we have a very powerful group here together today. Um, And we'll include Alan on that. Um, Alan can be powerful too. But what we have is a a great group. And during this whole time, I've sat back and watched everybody in this room's company excel. And I think what I want to do is round table and talk about it. First, what we're going to do is we're going to move around and talk, introduce each person quickly. Um, So we have um, Carter Lee, who's from Switch, which is uh, EV charging, EV solutions. We've got Ted from um, a smart one, uh, the, you know, the, 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 and we're going to have first talk with Ted after I'm done because um, his company is the, I would say the epicenter, of what we're all doing. And so I think it's very important. We hear what he's done and strives has done. And I can tell you that it's been pretty incredible. So, so Ted, we'll, we'll bring Ted in soon. we have got Scott um, who's with um, Kite Mobility. Um, And Kite Mobility is, in my viewpoint, going to be, along with EV chargers, probably the fastest growing types of services that we're gonna have to offer as we grow in the smart city world. Outside of the greatest company in the world, Locomobile World, of course. Um, But no, it's gonna be pretty amazing. And we've got um, uh, Brian, who is um, president, and these guys are all the CEOs or founders. And Brian is the president of uh, Locomobile World. Has really made a big change in our uh, how we've affect the smart uh, transportation world, um, and then we have myself and Alan, who are just going to moderate and let these guys talk. So I think what's happened is I think this um, first of all this will be a two part series probably, because I think that um, it's a big it's, it's a big change we've seen, and I think that people listening are going to they got to listen to this they want to learn where everything's going, okay even if we're wrong or right or Take our opinion. So I think where I want to start is, um, Ted, um, you have traveled the world, you've met with people, you've heard things. Um, you know, Smart One. I think what I want to hear from you is before we get into real detail. During this whole period of, of when we started before COVID, through COVID, now we're coming out of COVID. What changes have you seen in Smart One?
2: The biggest change that I'm seeing is, um, I would say, market adoption. And I think that's the critical part. Like, we need people to start to embrace these solutions. And there's always a resistance to change. And we all know the classic crossing the chasm, that once, you know, we get past this 20% mark, then everybody goes. I'm passionate about seeing this happen because there's so many things when you take these solutions and put them together that we actually solve real issues. And we create things that make the world a better place. And we need to make that transition. So the biggest thing that I'm seeing is finally there's a shift, finally it's starting to happen at a greater level.
1: Okay, so okay, so you said there's a shift and and we know anyone that's been in this business a long time of technology that breakthroughs tough. I've seen it my whole life in a lot of companies that I've started and and so we're now seeing this breakthrough. And so being the epicenter, um Ted, um we're going to get back to the breakthroughs and so on. So so Carter, um Like I know, in our way, um, a lot of people don't know. In the EV charging world, there's a lot of uh, things I've learned from you and and your group that the average person in business, as well as uh, the consumer, doesn't know where EV charging going versus what is being regulated, and where the political side wants to be over the next five to ten years. And maybe in addition, we know there's we all know there's going to be EV chargers in in parking facilities. And we know that, uh, our partner switch is doing that in a, in a big way, but what people don't know is why and how and where it's going to go.
3: Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, uh, being in this space now for, I guess now over six years, we've seen it, uh, you know, come, I wouldn't say full circle, but close to that in that, you know, when we initially talked about EV charging stations, we thought of it as an equivalent of replacing gas stations with EV charging stations. You know, so if you were at a gas station, you would change that out to a charging station. And I've talked to a lot of folks from the oil and gas industry, and they're even the they're they're willing to say, you know, firsthand that that's not going to happen, because you know when you look at where you charge your cell phone usually when you go to bed at night and it's full the next morning. Um, Why do you charge it? It's because you don't have to go anywhere to do that, right? So it happens that over 80% of charging occurs at home or at work where it's most convenient. So that idea of going somewhere to go charge something is not going to be as prevalent as, you know, going to fill up your, your tank of gas. So now if you look at oil and gas companies, they're investing in, you know, in companies and in locations and technologies that are not just to replace a gas station with a charging station at those locations. And that's something that we've kind of learned, you know, as we've adopted more and more EV charging and more vehicles coming on the road that, you know, people want to charge where it's most convenient.
1: Okay. So, so I have a question for you and, and jump in if you want, Alan. Well, um, no, yeah, I got a
0: question right now. So what, what happens to all this real estate that's currently taken up by gas station?
3: It's a great question. I mean, this is not a, like, overnight thing, right? I mean, people will be pumping their gas uh, their gas cars for at least another, I'd say, like, decade or two. Or more. Or more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when it comes to, like, long-distance, like, uh, trucking and things like that, that you probably need hydrogen um, as a replacement to— uh, unless there's a dramatic change in battery chemistry technology, you know? So— if, uh, gas stations are not going anywhere. I just don't think we're going to see the type of growth, uh, uh, you know, in those locations. And not to say that there's not going to be any public charging stations. There will be. I mean, if you're traveling long distance from, say, I don't know, Toronto to Montreal. There'll be stops. There'll be stops, you know, along, you know, the on the routes and things like that. You know, there will be charging stations with gas stations. It's just that it's not going to be as prevalent as gas stations are today.
1: And I don't know if people like you have the eco people who say, no way, it's got to change tomorrow. But I think we all want the same. So, but but so what would you say? Like I park on a street and I see a charger. But how many are going on the street and how many are going in garages and how many are like you're probably in all the markets. So as as a commercial business here, um, are there statutory limits to what you have to hit? over the course of the next 10 years. And like in in Vancouver, 100% of all vehicles must be parking lots, must be built with battery charge interface. But that's not true here. And so where do you see it going um, federally and provincially?
3: Yeah, I mean the the building code requirements you're seeing more and more like you mentioned about in Vancouver. It's it's very aggressive. It's 100% in in Toronto with the newest update to Toronto Green Standard from version 3 to version 4, they went from 20% now it's going to be 25%. You know, and we're looking and you know Washington DC just released one in February, Chicago yes. released one a few months ago. So we're seeing that across the board in North America where there's going to be building code requirements for pretty much every city. Um, and is America. there
1: grandfather classes?
3: Um, what happens
1: to, yeah. um, I have a garage that's got a thousand spaces and I have none. Yeah. What happens to me?
3: Currently, it's for new developments. Okay. Yeah, it's currently for new developments. I think it's going to be challenging to enforce. Well, people
1: want to know that. Developers yeah. want to know that. I mean, they make a lot of assumptions. So let's go, before I move over to mobility, let, let's go with the charging one step further. Um, and I want to go back later to more about charging, but one more step further is so Like, geez, I mean, I'm in 40 or 50 developments we're working on now. We'll let Brian talk about that later. But all those are going to put in requirements for charging. But if they do the 25% and 1,000 stalls, that's 250 chargers. But it's not, is it? It's requirements are they have the interface for 250 chargers. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, yeah. So... If you don't have an electric vehicle, you don't have to put in a charging station. The 25% is to ensure that- If I have, you got to give it to me. Yeah.
1: In that. Okay. So that's going to happen. I think that's going to happen once people continue to adopt charges. So so we've got the charging stations and we're going to go back in more detail of how they work and all that. Okay, so we've got charging stations, but then we have, which means we're going to have EVs, which means you're going to have other devices. So in these same garages, there's going to be a demand for swapping and uh, mobility. And so we're going to talk about, um, I guess, mobility as a service. We've got Kite here and we've got Scott here for that reason. So, Scott, um, so we know with you and we've done projects where, where we're going to be talking about how brownie tracks everything, But you go in and now I want to rent a car, a scooter. I don't know anything, right? And so tell me, first of all, how we went from where we were before, because Kite is a startup. And where was Kite then? What did you learn along the way? And where are we today?
4: Yeah, well, thanks for having me. First of all, it's great to be here with this group. Uh, I think we all support each other and certainly inspire each other. So it's great to be here amongst the group. Um, You know, I think you started off with what's changed, you know, to your question to Ted, you know what hasn't changed is innovation and in technology. I think that's only accelerated through the through the pandemic, and so I think we're all we're all seeing that, and certainly a part of it. Um, what's changed certainly is how people access transportation and how they move around in cities. And um, I'd say before the pandemic, people were more comfortable in uh, public spaces with public transportation, with car share sharing, sharing the, the same environment as other, other people. And that has certainly changed as a result of the pandemic. So you see certain stats of public transportation down 50 60% even today. And so the way that people access and are comfortable moving about the city has certainly changed. And I think this is you know, perhaps where Kite comes in, where people can access all kinds of transportation right from where they live or work. And so we're just trying to make people's lives simpler and more cost-effective go down in your building, pick out whatever you need to do for the hour, the day, the week. What is whatever you need? Well, it could be a car. Okay. You know, if you need to go pick up some groceries, it could be an SUV if you need to get out of town and carry some luggage. Of course, it's all electric because we believe in sustainability. So it could be a scooter? It could be a scooter. It could be an e-bike. It could be a robot. It could be a fleet of cars where we're doing B2D, B2G charging. I mean, we can get that in a moment with yeah, Carter. We will, yeah. And all kinds of things. So. It doesn't really matter. It's whatever suits the building, suits the demographic profile of the building. If it's an older, older profile, younger profile, more affluent, less affluent, we'll put in whatever makes sense for that building. And
1: what has been the adaptability so far? How much adoption rate have you seen from start to now?
4: It's accelerating, okay. um, uh, both on the the side of the developer. Uh, to, to Carter's point, there's more and more city mandates coming in um, to the developers yep. with respect to sustainability mandates. Carbon reduction, parking reduction, traffic demand management, and on and on and on. So the developers, uh, I, I would say at the at the board level, this is kind of number one or two priority. And so how how can we help them? And so that's certainly accelerating. And then for the the, the, the people living in cities, you know, do you wanna spend eight hundred to a thousand dollars a month on a car that sits there ninety percent of the time? Is that is that a wise investment? And I think certainly the younger buyer is very, very different. We're you know, maybe I'll age ourselves here a little bit, but on our 16th birthday, we were probably at the, the you know, the driver's license getting our getting our car. I don't think that's the the, the case anymore. So, I think people uh, want to… Uh, but you're seeing that. We're you're seeing it. We're seeing it accelerate. It's the sort of Netflix model people want to pay as you go.
1: It's funny you say that because, uh, so my daughter's looking for an apartment. So, she hires an agent, right? She sold her house and she's looking around Toronto. Just find these places. And she says to me the other day, yeah, I found a great place and I can get 150 a month for the parking. So I go, what do you mean? Not going to get a car? No, I don't need a car. I'll just get his, she said it, kite car. It was amazing. And then she was telling me about this person she's dating. And I said, okay, I asked all these questions, right? I do the check marks on who's dating my daughter. And she says, um, he doesn't, does he have a car? No. How old is he? Well, he's 36. I go, you haven't got a car? Are you crazy or what? And I'm, I'm shocked. I'm sorry, I am. And I know I'm in suburbia, but I, I was shocked. So, so it really is, I can see it. And that's what I'm asking. And I guess the, the, what I want to dwell in later after we come back to think about is there is this whole scooter uh, problem. You know, and we see it in every, like I thought scooters were going to be number one. And then you start reading about all the problems they are having with uh, scooters and they're outlawing them. I want to get into that uh, in the next session. So now we've got where the mobility has been going. And so uh, Brian came on to Locomobile World just before the pandemic. So I said, Brian, come on on board and here's a pandemic. So the double whammy of what, you know. And so Brian, so um, you've worked with, uh, and we're going to get into the masterpiece in a minute, but we worked with uh, the EV guys, mobility guys, you're tracking vehicles. Where are you finding the mesh when you're dealing with developers and how we're all kind of, See the the, the hands free the vehicle as the the permit and how it interacts with everybody.
5: So it was very similar to TED um, two years ago. It was definitely I'll use I'll quote them neat interesting. Uh, let me evaluate. To now the the true need is is today now to say that's because of the pandemic. I think it's uh, various different it accelerated. I think absolutely. Um, and th- the, the bottom line, I think what you're all hearing here is, uh, and, and uh, I'll stay to my topic that you asked me to answer, but I think of Scott and I think of, I'm a city person, born and raised, always been. And there's always been a gap. So I could take transit or go, but then what do I do to get to the office? What do I do to do all the other types of movement? So hence, I'll go back to default. And vehicle management, especially in mixed residential, has been that. We'll just live with what we currently have. Uh, now they get it. They understand the complications and headaches without managing these vehicles, which also enhances the security. So um, it's transformed. I will, I'll literally say it's transformational in just two years on how uh, went from an interesting discussion to evaluation to now winning at almost 90%. So most almost
1: everybody's now saying we got to have it. Yeah. And I've heard it with everyone, the same thing. And I can remember and I, not just this technology. I remember when I introduced credit card to the industry, people said no one's going to use a card for a, on a machine. It's kind of like no one's going to use a bank machine. Um, this is much more transforming what we're doing now. So we're collecting all this stuff, right? And quite frankly, what's the most important part of this? In my viewpoint, yes, we have systems where they go standalone it is the whole smart building concept. So um, as we know, Ted, um, started smart one and was the first out really in a big way in in Canada or strictly definitely the, the the golden horseshoe of the smart building concept and and I know where he started which building and I'll it's up to him if he wants to bring it up but the point being is I've saw the transition from okay this is what my vision is but where are we now like you you've gone from this concept of a building And I know, Ted, you're involved in hundreds of of, of projects now, but tell me what has really changed because I know you said before transitional and all this stuff, but smart one is the epicenter. So what is the landlord or owner or partners or whoever is going to make that decision looking to have?
2: They're looking for a differentiated living experience. But let me kind of add, like there's a couple pieces I think are fundamental in this whole thing. The first is you look at a lot of smart home stuff. Most people will look at it and go, oh yeah, great. Wow, I can turn my lights on and off and blah, blah, blah. And I can do all these basic little things and they really don't matter. Like my wife will say, keep your stupid app. I'll just use the switch and it doesn't matter. It's not creating really va- real value. What I love when we enter multifamily developments is that you actually need technology and I'm going to elaborate on that, but it is also the metaphor. It is actually the mic, like it's a mini version of the smart city. So what you see happening in these multi-dwelling units, multi-family developments, is what's going to happen in cities and it's contained and you can do it. And then you're going to get these new technologies like 5G that are going to enable the smart city, but do those same things. So let's kind of rewind back and say, so what is it about a building? A building's not a house you have 700 people or we have a project that's got nine buildings, 2,500 units sharing 22 entrances. Well, how do you manage the entrances if you don't have technology? You have all these common spaces. Wouldn't you love to see cameras around your community to have a neighborhood watch? Makes sense. So really what you're now doing is taking smart homes, connecting them together over this common infrastructure, we'll say over a network. And then when you do that, we can take community-based services and share them to the people living in the homes. Now, the key in this is, how do you get people to actually use the technology, right? How do you get the people to look at an app? Well, if the app is being used to let someone in the front door, if it's being used to control my energy and thermostat, and if it's being used to um, do all these other pieces, the more pieces we layer on, the more people are using this app and it now becomes this launch point to be able to bring in everything else you're seeing. So now we can work with, with Switch and. You got smart EV charging on the same app. You need to book a car, the same app that you're using to control your door, to look at cameras and do everything in your community. I can now book a vehicle. You're visiting me. I can type in your license plate and the locomotive system will allow you to go in. Or the extreme like was one of the developments where we're, and this is a fun part now. So much infrastructure has been built and it was hard. I've been at this for 20 years. Like people think it happened. It didn't. Oh, no, no. I know where you've been. Yep. It took 15 years to get to the pilot community and it works and it's still working. But now that we've gotten we, all this infrastructure and the foundation, the stuff just keeps coming, right? Like we just keep doing. So here's a cool one that kind of relates on the transportation side was a developer said, look, I got Uber coming and the city saying, you know, you're know, you on two busy streets, how are you gonna handle Uber? You got to answer that question. I'm not giving you a permit. What are you gonna do smart one? And we're like, "Hey, that's pretty cool. We'll just type, we'll just, when you want an Uber, go on your smart one app, call the Uber and it'll interface with Uber. And what it'll do is it'll send a driver an instruction. Don't pick up on the street. Come to the parking garage. They'll let him in. Yeah, because Uber <laughs> gives you the license plate. We pass it to the local Mobi system. The local Mobi system opens the door. Now we did pick up on the inside. So just about anything you can imagine, you can solve. And that's what's exciting for me. The frameworks, the infrastructure, and all these pieces are coming together. It's like with Switch, now we can use the building network to do load management. I don't want to take his thunder, let him speak of that. But-
1: we're, we're going to get, get into that. We're yeah, going to get yeah. into all
2: those old pieces, but the pieces are there. And and I think the piece the thing that a lot of companies are missing with this this stuff is all foundational. So you see a lot of companies will enter the market and they look at the outside functions they don't look at the infrastructure. And the infrastructures, I've got an open network in a building. I've got an app that allows me to bring other services. And now let's start to make this flourish. And let's just help deal with every situation we could deal with, every social issue we're trying to solve. You can now, you can now deal with because you've created the infrastructure.
1: Okay, so I got a good question for that one. So you've got it's pretty important. You have not said it yet. And I know you build your system, you call it smart community. And I like that because that's a miniature smart city. So once you do the community, you can expand. You can do cities and so on. So let's go back to the backbone. These developers, they come to you and they come to all of us, but they come to you first in most cases. And they say, okay, I want to do this. How important is the structure of the backbone of the network? Like you're going to get a lot of guys who are going to make apps in their basement and say, I can do this. Come on, guys. That's the world we live in. Okay. So what is the most important thing that they need to understand? I get, we all get, we're all getting that now. Don't like, Can I do this? And they're, they're, they're realizing I can do anything to a point, really. Where it's like, okay, let's think about it. But it all comes down to stability. So when you go in there, and the most important thing that has to be in there, in my viewpoint, and I don't know. We'll talk about 5G later, whether it really is 5G or 4G, but how stable and what is the important part of the backbone of the network should be?
2: The point you raise is the fundamental because the people who look at the outcomes, if you build the outcome, you only got the outcome. It doesn't scale. My journey started from the simplest concept, which was put a network in a building and a network's not a scary concept. The network's just like your human nervous system. skeleton. Yeah, if you don't have that, what does the network do? It allows me to speak to the uh, cameras in the license plate system. It allows us to speak to EV chargers. It allows us to speak to package systems. It allows us to speak to defibrillators. You can attach anything you want into that system because you've done that with this. You've got this open architecture network sitting in the core you can attach everything to. Start from that, and if you don't put that, yeah, you're gonna make someone, oh, I'll do the same thing without putting a network. It's all just apps
1: talking to each other. And yeah, all you'll get a it. bunch okay.
2: of apps, and then yeah. what's gonna happen? If you create a system that's based on the existence of five different companies speaking together, how many times, you, how do you believe that those companies are gonna be stable and they're gonna to continue to talk to each other, and one's gonna go out of business, this one's gonna acquire that one, this one's gonna say, you're not paying me enough, and you end up with this whole mess, versus again, like I always say- and like you know that, why? Because you ran buildings your whole career and saw those messes. I saw <laughs> that. And, and, and there's other things we keep in our office, which are kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. We have these products that look beautiful, smart home products. They look beautiful. They don't work anymore because if people don't adopt and if it doesn't develop critical mask, it will just disappear. Right. So it's like you need to start with foundational elements and then buildings. And this is the part that's hard. Like the I'm a construction guy at the core. I was a construction super, became a CIO, wrote a lot of systems, but I just love construction. And this is where this comes down to, like, you can't get, you can't avoid this this fundamental piece, buildings had networks. We just need to move the industry to embrace this. And then what we need is, obviously that's where you started to touch on it. I don't really want to go there in a lot of depth. Well, what's the network of a city? Well, the network of the city is what 5G is supposed to be. 5G is supposed to emulate the network that exists inside of a building, but on a broader scale. So then now you imagine we're in a smart city where we can see cameras throughout our whole city. We can share parking decks together. We can rent cars. We can now, and, and I think this is like, and i don't know how this is all going to play but the internet's a giant network of the whole world what we're now saying is let's create little mini localized networks where we bring You we have to
1: yeah you have to you have to have mini localized, localized networks because you'll never have the bandwidth to have one but if you do them right you'll have all these nodes that's my opinion only um,
2: and I, I share that Anyway, I'll stop but yes I agree good? with okay. you that's what the shift is I don't know how it's going to end up but it's going to be that we're going to end up taking this giant single network across the world and start to 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 bring it together geographically so that now regionally we're able to connect things within a region and then share them to those people
1: yeah and I and I, I I'm with you and I and here's here's where we're going to get into the 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 crosstalk and the open discussion in a minute but but here's what I don't understand is that these cities go out and they write tenders and bring in companies from the U.S., Europe. We have all the smart guys here. And they go and then they fail. They, they go and they give this work to these people and they fail. All they got to do is talk to people that are doing it. And I think that when they start understanding that you have to look at what's out there to bring it apart, you don't need a big consulting company to take over. You just think, okay? And, and the reality is, We have to decide where 5G is for real and where those networks are applicable. And I think that's where I see the problem. When you get, these, I'll call these power groups now, where we have seen it all, and we're all involved in these hundreds of things, now we can talk about how we can talk to people, move people, save people, service people. Um, It's so simple when you really think of it, but it took years of all agreeing on the same concept. And so, I mean, I would go to, uh, to to something like, we have EV chargers. So I would love to know how you guys do this. So I read the other day, just I think I read today, about a new EV solid state EV charger. I heard about a new swap one just came out. Now, if that works, that changes the world. How do you adapt to that? Like, how do you keep adapting your technology to all these changes? In the EV charging world, it's all going to be about batteries. So what do you do with that? harder
3: Yeah. You know, you know, the next big thing about batteries has been the next big thing for probably the last 20 years. You know, that's the challenge. You always hear about the next solid state battery and, uh, you know, eventually it's going to come. But I feel like by the time it comes, it probably won't be that big of a splash because all these incremental would have kind of, adapted. Would have adapted. Kind of like, I don't know, if you're like uh, I don't know, televisions or something like that, right? Like they're always like, you know, they go from one to another to another, but you still see like L C D screens still like, you know, in everything. You know, they went to like what plasma and then OLED and I don't know, all these other things. I feel like I think battery technology is kind of the same thing. Like lithium-iron batteries are gonna keep getting better and better and better, and the densities are gonna be better and better and better. And eventually when solid state comes, it's like, oh. Will it make that big of a difference? I don't know.
0: And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. And that's just part one of our roundtable discussion. Join us next time as we continue to talk about where things are going in the field of smart buildings, smart communities, and smart cities. If you have any questions or comments, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. And check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. Notice that URL, .blog. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea
5: Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.